Our world today seems wild and out of control. It seems almost impossible for ordinary people to make wise decisions that can keep them safe and healthy. Welcome to Words from the Wildwood. I am your host, Richard Stidham, and I hope to give you today a better understanding of what is really happening in the world around you and how you can hear God's voice over the noise of the world around us. Let's go today to our new segment. All right, everybody, welcome back to our podcast. We are closing in on the end of the book of the Revelation. I know it's been a long and difficult journey to get where we are. We have seen so much. But today, we are in chapter 19, chapter glorious 19, when after all of the things that we have seen, all of the riding of the horsemen, all of the plagues, the trumpets, the bowls, all of the horrible things that we've seen, we come today to the glorious victory for which the church of Jesus Christ has suffered and waited for 2,000 years. It's been 2,000 years since our Lord went back into heaven promising that he would come again. And as we look at the news today, it seems that his return is even more imminent than it ever has been in the past. After all the death and pain and misery we've seen in the book of the Revelation, we now see something wonderful, something glorious, the thing to which every believing Christian looks forward, and that is a celebration in heaven, the marriage feast of the Lamb. Now, for believers, this will be a great day, the day for which we have waited and hoped. It will make everything worthwhile. All of the things that the church has gone through in the past, everything that believers are going through today, and everything that those who come to faith in Christ during the tribulation, it will make it all worthwhile. What are we going to see in chapter 19? There are four certainties that accompany the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Now, here they are, church. Settle down, buckle up, and let's see what these four certainties are, because I'm excited to get here today. First certainty that we will see, Christ proclaims absolute victory. After all of the things that have gone on, Jesus will declare absolute victory over the entire earth. Revelation 19.1. After this, I heard something like a loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation, glory, and power belongs to our God because his judgments are true and righteous because he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality. See the word idolatry there. And he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on their hands. I want to stop right there. If you have a modern translation, you might see the word slaves there. The word slave is the word doulos. Now, there were doulos who were imprisoned and, and made slaves in some nations against their will. But there were also those people who came to love the families with whom they worked, and they gave themselves willingly to become a bondservant. In fact, in the Old Testament, it sets up a standard. When a, ser when a person has to do a certain number of years of servitude, at the end of that, they were allowed to go home. They were allowed to be released. But if they loved their family, if they loved the family that they had acquired, whether it be a wife or a husband or children, if they didn't want to leave, they would take that servant to the doorpost of the home. They would put an awl through his ear, seal that off with a ring, either of wood or of metal, and it would be a symbol that they had chosen to serve that family because they loved them. Brothers and sisters, we are doulos 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are servants. We are slaves. And I take no, no shame in saying that I am a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ, because I choose to be because of all that he has done for me. So he says, his judgments are true and righteous because he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality and has the, avenged the blood of his servants, his slaves, that was on her hands. All those that were murdered because of their faith in Christ, now they have been avenged. Remember, under the altar they cried out, How long, Lord, before you avenge us? Here's the vengeance that was coming. Verse 3 says this, A second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke ascends forever and ever. When the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who is seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah, a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all his slaves who fear him, both small and great. That's how this picture begins in heaven, with the praise and the worship of God, because he has finally brought about this just end to an unjust world political system. He will put them all in their place. He will vindicate his people, those who have died and those who make it to the end. And he has now become victorious. So basically, Christ will proclaim absolute victory over all of the earth. And the second thing I want you to see is right after it, Christ calls his beloved. Now, family, that's you and me. We are the beloved of the Lord, and he has called us to be with him. Take a look at this. This should be the most comforting picture in all the world. When everything goes wrong, this is the image that we all long for. This is the day which we all hope for. Even though we must wait our entire lives, walk that veil with him, this is the day we long to see. Revelation 19.6. Then I heard something like the voice of a multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, the word is Pantocrator or Pantocrator. It means the one of absolute power, the one who was unchallenged. He has begun to reign. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, write this down, John. Those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb are fortunate. He also said to me, these words of God are true. Now that's important, church. Everything you look at today in the world, they want to change God's word. They want to say, this wasn't quite right. That wasn't quite right. God didn't mean that. He changed his mind later. No, the words of God concerning this final act of rescuing his bride are absolutely true. Now, this picture right here, this marriage of the Lamb, is taken directly from the teachings of Jesus that we find in the book of Matthew. You know what I'm talking about? Matthew 25, 1 through 13. It's a little bit long, but I want us to go back and look at it because this marriage feast is something that Jesus talked about to tell us about, to prepare us for, because it's going to be such an amazing thing. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. They probably thought, okay, I've got a full thing of oil in my lamp. It'll last long enough. 
But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. They wanted to be prepared for the long journey. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Notice this, church. They all became drowsy and slept because the time was long. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus went away back into heaven. He said, I'm going to come back for you. It's been 2,000 years. Some of us have begun to doubt that he's coming back. Well, don't doubt it, church, because as we just read, his words are faithful and true. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. The jobs of these bridesmaids was to light their lamps, to walk out to the bridegroom, and to escort him back to his bride. They were a guard of honor. They were an honor guard. They were there to bring him to his bride. They had a very important task to light the way. So here comes the cry at midnight. Bridegroom's here. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Those who were ready, church, went in with him. How were they ready? They were ready in the story because they had oil for their lamps. Of course, the oil here is representative of the Holy Spirit, the person who has been purchased by Christ, who is sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have been raptured up in, in, the, in, the, in that early days before the tribulation. And now, when it's time for the marriage feast, we who are sealed by the Holy Spirit, we who are ready because we've given our lives to Christ, we will go in with him and the door will be shut behind us, and we will be forever with the bridegroom. And that is such an amazing picture. That is such a phenomenal thought to have. It says, okay, it said that when they went to, went to buy, and then the bridegroom came, they went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. But afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. They thought, okay, we went out, we got the oil, we oiled our lamps. Oh, where's the bridegroom? He's already gone inside. So we want to go to the wedding feast also. But he answered and said, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the bridegroom is coming. Think of it this way. Jesus said, Some will come and they will say, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not tell people about your goodness? Did I not tell people about your grace? Did I not go to church every Sunday? Did I not sing in the choir? Did I not teach a Sunday school class? Um, did I not distribute Bibles to the poor? Did I not go to do feedings in, in, in the street to take care of the poor people and tell them, God bless you? I did all that stuff, Lord. He says, but I don't know you. You did all the actions, but there's no relationship. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You've not, my, you've not been born again. You're not my child. So even though you've done all this work, then there's no relationship with us. And that's why I feel so bad for so many people out there in these cults, these religious groups, where they are trying to earn their salvation. They're trying to do enough work, give away enough tracks, um, knock on enough doors to make it good to make themselves good enough so that God will accept them when all the, all they really need to do is accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. So this picture of the wedding feast is one that Jesus taught them right there in Matthew 25 so that they would understand to be ready for the day of his coming. 
So it says there, there he says, you know, uh, basically those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb are fortunate. So those who've heard the words of Christ, who've given themselves to Christ, they are the ones who are fortunate and blessed they will go in. Let's go back to Revelation 19.10. That's where we left off. I want to read you something that is really a, a little apart from the story, but there's an example here I want you to think about. Revelation 19.10. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, meaning the angel who was talking to him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow slave with you and your brothers who have the testimony about Jesus. Worship God, because the testimony about Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Many times in the Old Testament, you would see an angel of the Lord appear, and the people would be awestruck, and they would fall down as if to worship this person, and they say, whoa, 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 we're just messengers. We're servants of God just like you. You can't worship us, because God said on Mount Sinai, they can only have one God. You can only serve one Lord, one master, and that is me. You can only serve God alone, and you can't put anybody else there. Uh, Colossians 2.18 says this, Let no one disqualify you or mess up your thinking, insisting on asceticism, or you can't eat this, you can't eat that, you can't do this, and the worship of angels going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by their sensuous minds. There are those out there who honestly believe in worshiping people other than Jesus Christ. They worship these saints, thinking that somehow the saints are going to give them access to God that Jesus couldn't give them. They're going to be worshiping angels as if, as if the angels themselves have power or that the angels can recommend us to God. No, it's only Jesus. We see it in Acts 10, 25 and 26. Now, Peter comes to Cornelius, who is a Gentile, and it's against the rules for Jews to go into the homes of Gentiles. But the Lord says, go. So he goes. He says, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and bowed down at his feet to worship him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up. I, too, am a man. Just because I'm an apostle, just because I walked with Jesus, doesn't make me holy or sacred. I don't have power that isn't from the Lord. So, you know, we need to be careful that this knowledge we have gained from the book of Revelation, this knowledge of what is going to happen, its only purpose is to warn people to be saved now, to be saved while they can be saved, to avoid the tribulation, to avoid the times of terror and horror. That's the only thing we have. And we're not special because we know. We're blessed because we know. The book of Revelation is one of only two books that is sealed with a blessing, that if you read it and proclaim it, you are blessed. And the other book is Deuteronomy, which seals um, the law, which seals up the law forever as they go into the promised land. So yeah, we, we are not special. Like, you know, Peter wasn't special because he was Peter. He was only a messenger of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need to keep ourselves humble. We need to keep remembering who we are and what we have come to do. We've just come to proclaim our Lord and our Savior. So the very first thing that we saw, of course, is that Christ proclaims absolute victory, as we see in chapter 19. Then he calls his beloved to this wedding feast, to this wonderful celebration that he talked about when he was with his disciples. The next thing I want you to see is this. He leads his people. He leads his people. Revelation 19.11, Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, 
and he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes are like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself, and that is the revelation of himself as Almighty God. He wore a robe stained with blood, and his name is the Word of God. It is the Logos. The Word of God is, is his name. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen to show their holiness. Verse 15, a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of God's fierce anger, the Almighty, and he has a name written on his robe and on his right thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow, so much right here in these few verses. First thing you see back in 11, heaven's open and I see a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. Now remember when the four horsemen made their ride, the false Christ comes on a white horse. He comes as a mimic, as a false savior, as a fake Christ. He comes looking like a, a deliverer, like a savior, but he's false. Because in his hand is what? Is that is not the sharp sword of the word of God. It is not the victory, but it's false lies, false hope that he uses to persuade and twist the nations to follow him instead of the true Messiah. The false Christ came pretending, and now Jesus comes as the actual Messiah. We can see in Isaiah 11, 4, it says this, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. This is exactly what Isaiah was talking about the Messiah doing when the Messiah came. Now many of the Jews thought that when the true Messiah came the first time, when Jesus came, they thought this is how he would react. He would come as a powerful leader striking the earth. They didn't understand that all of those things had to happen in between before finally at the end of days, he would come and do exactly what Isaiah said. Think about this. He talks about uh, this one on the white horse having this sword. Hebrews 4 12 and 13 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Remember that a two-edged sword is a war weapon. It is meant for war. It is meant to kill left and right. It is only for that. It's not a civilian uh, sort of a knife that, that can be used for work. This is a war weapon. So it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we all must give account. <clears throat> As the Savior comes, he is coming to judge. And Hebrews has warned us, that nothing will be hidden. You cannot fake. You cannot lie. You cannot pretend. You cannot make excuses. That the one who comes on the white horse, who is faithful and true, he will defeat his enemies and he will cause all men to answer for what they've done. Why? Because he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His name is victorious. His name is the champion of the earth and he will reign. So we've seen these things so far, these certainties. The last certainty I want you to see is that Christ defeats his enemies. He will absolutely, utterly defeat his enemies. Revelation 19, 17. Then I saw an angel standing 
as it were, on the sun. He cried out in a loud voice, saying, To all the birds flying high overhead, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. This is an important picture. You have to get this in your mind. They're not being graphic and disgusting. You know, we consider this sort of picture of carnage to be horrible. And uh, those who have studied the history of military engagements all over the earth know that when there is a great slaughter, there is a great carrion that, that comes in and, and picks at the bones. Now, understand that in the first century, this was considered the worst death of all. The very worst death of all would be to die and to be left in the field where you where the animals could pick your could pick your bones eat your eyes do all these other disgusting things that happens when there are just too many people to bury so basically uh, Christ Christ through this angel calls everything to this great destruction it's just showing how horrendous and how terrible it's going to be but look at verse 19 look at verse 19 then i saw the beast the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. So they've come for this for this fight. Here, here comes Jesus and here comes this fight. But the beast was taken prisoner and along with him the false prophet who had performed the signs in his presence. He deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image with these signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Here's your reference to the second death. We're going to see this explained a little more as we go on through the next three chapters. And we're done, church. Three more chapters. 20, 21, 22. But we're going to find out about this last lake this this last uh, ultimate death and the image here is of uh, a valley right outside of jerusalem where people would throw their trash and they would throw their trash into this into this valley and they would set it on fire and it was said that the flames never died because they were always heaping more refuse on it and it was burning and burning it says and the, and the worm never died and never ceased to feast on on the flesh of what was thrown in there and this is a, an absolutely horrible picture of a devastating end. So this, this dragon, Satan himself, is thrown alive in there with the false prophet. And there they will burn and there they will suffer. As we, as we will see a little bit later, they're going to have one last shot. But it's not going to be for a while. And when they have their last shot, they're going to lose again. Because that is the nature of all who would oppose a living God. You will lose when you fight God because you can't win against the almighty creator of everything. It says in verse 21, The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Horrible picture. A horrible picture of devastation, of death, of mutilation. But that is what will happen at the very end of this tribulation time. Now, church... The end of the tribulation is not the end of days. The end of the tribulation is the end of the seven years. But don't forget, we have a lot to deal with coming up. We have the talk of the millennium, the 1,000-year reign of Christ, what it will look like for the world, what we will be doing during that 1,000 years. Then 
we will have a glimpse of the world to come. We're almost there, church. We are almost to the book of Revelation. So many TV evangelists and TV pastors have been asked their opinion of the book of the Revelation. And to quote one uh, very famous individual, well, I don't like to talk about that. I, I don't really understand it. I've never really studied it. Well, this is my words to those of you who believe you haven't studied the book of the Revelation and you don't really understand it. Get straight, people. You need to understand this book. One, if you're a believer, you're not going to be here, but you need to know what's going to happen. You need to know that God is going to honor his promises throughout the entire Old Testament. He said that one day there would be ultimate judgment. We look in the news and murderers go free. Rapists are set free. People who do these mass shootings, these mass killings, it seems like they get a slap on the wrist and then they're set free again to do it again. And we think, is there no justice in the universe? And there is. Justice is coming, and it looks horrible. It looks terrible. But that is why the Holy Spirit, through the church, cries out, Repent, be saved, avoid this terrible time. Come to Christ now. Now is the appointed hour. Now is when you can be saved. Now is when you can avoid all this. And that is what we do, church. We keep preaching Jesus until we hear that trumpet blast, and we are out of here. Well, we're done here for now, and I want you to take a little time, rest, recover. Go back and look through some of these verses again. Let them sink into you because these are hope. This is the hope we have that everything that is, seems to be wrong is going to be made right because God is going to follow through on all of his words and all of his commands. I want you to have a fantastic week. If God brings somebody into your life, Tell them about Jesus. Tell them they can be saved. Tell them they can be forgiven and that they don't have to worry about the end of days because like us, they're not going to be here. Church, God bless. Have a good one. I'll see you next week with more words from the Wildwood. Thank you for joining us today on Words from the Wildwood. We are a listener-supported program presented without commercial interruption. If you have enjoyed this program and want to support our outreach, please send any gifts to Richard Stidham, P.O. Box 1321, Baytown, Texas 77521. Thank you for listening today. God bless, and we will see you again in the Wildwood. <laughs>